be close to the Capitol and in marching distance to, to the Navy Yard, and they found Square 927. So Square 927, Block 927, is the exact block right here. Um, it has changed over time. The, the home down at the end is the home of the Commandants. Uh, that was built in 1806. We were here in 1801. The barracks right here to my left, your right, was built in 1804. A little bit of disparity is because the, the Commandant wanted a home for his Marines first. So the Marines got their home first in 1804, and then we had the money and the funding to, to build the home of the Commandants. Unfortunately, like government, we always run out of money. So the Commandant put uh, his Marines to work, gave him an extra ration of rum, and said, complete the home. So, what did the Marines do best? They were probably under the influence, and they built that house because it's the longest occupied building in the National Capital Region. Because of Say again? Is it, safe? <laughs> it is. Surprisingly, it is. So we, we were such great masons in the Marines um, that some of those walls are three feet thick. So it's not going anywhere. So with that, anytime we're doing is we're doing was only two stories and fifteen hundred square feet. It stands three stories with an attic and a basement. It's of roughly twenty thousand square feet. When you go inside, you'll see some of it. Not all of it, we can't show you all the hidden features about it, um, but the Commandant and Mrs. Berger live in there currently. It is their home, even though it is a historical landmark. And uh, Sergeant Saunders will be in there. He'll be your docent, your historian of the house, and he'll tell you all the good stories, even the ghost stories, if you ask him. Yes, sir? Does the Commandant still stay on Thursdays? Uh, he has a good staff. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's probably there. And the residents, so, and the floors, the way they are, the, the first floor, Cubat was good stuff, man. Um, yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> someone had to say it. 
Yeah, I mean that's crazy. That's that's another person that you were you were coming into the battalion as I was going home because I had to. Uh, yeah, my contract. Was oh, there. And you linked up with us again, Yeah. Word. Okay. That's why I didn't recognize you. I didn't actually yeah. see you in the battalion. Yeah, and you were out processing and I was coming in. Yeah, yeah. You and Chandler. Yeah, and, I remember. Uh, you. I don't remember too much. That you're always like, fuck you, dude. I wasn't that bad. Yeah. I, I looked out for a lot of the guys there. Yeah, you did. You're cool. I replaced a guy. I can't remember his name right now, but you guys probably know him if I say it. He was yeah, I mean, like uh, like uh, on watch. Go back like 100 years old. I remember yeah. that name, yeah. but I didn't know that happened to him. Yeah. Yeah. White. Uh, we split a Lima in red, white, and blue. So, so a little white. bit of uh, some history. So, of course, Marines to make it easy, we got to have some directions on everything. So, this is the aisle or the middle. Um, the walkway that's on that side of the freight deck is called Troop Walkway. That's where all our troops, our Marines, are when they're stationed in their, in their formation platoon. And then the walkway that's right in front of the home of the commandant is called General's Walkway. And the walkway behind you is called Officer's Walkway. Can anyone tell me what this walkway is? The enlisted walkway? Oh, okay, it's just a sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> but here you can see the behind the pole as we walk. It's the 1801, the Eagle Glowwood Anchor that the Marine Corps has used. As you go further down the parade deck, you'll see the original, actually the original, well, one of the original, um, layouts of what they thought the Eagle Globe and Anchor should look like. It's actually pretty big. It's right there. Hmm. Don't keep walking down this way. Yeah, pretty majestic. <laughs> <laughs> majestic. Not recently. Not, not to me at least. <laughs> yeah, that's actually not no kidding. Okay. Um, I don't know. Did you back in Texas? Yeah. I didn't know. I've been in Texas for Why? Okay, yeah. I but, uh, I didn't know you were coming. Uh, I was here. I, I was here in 2011. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then I was here again in 2015. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. This is my first time. Uh, Doc, Doc Thomas, Scott Thomas reached out to me. Kind of mad. They're not going to be Yeah. Yeah. You are saying that they're they're all out other places. So what do you you where did you say you at, Tyler? No, um I'm east of South. Just a little bit. Oh uh Richardson or Forney. Forney. yeah, Forney. Yeah. I know where you're at. You're not very far from me? I don't know. A couple hours. Yeah. My brother lives in Fort Worth. Okay. Yeah, I lived in Arlington my senior year of high school. I know that region. Oh, yeah. I had the right people to I'm currently 32 minutes away from my home when I was in middle school high school. Yep. And what did you do after um, you recovered? I mean, did you? Uh, I mean, I had to see a for a long time. Finally found someone worth time. Yeah. Got married, have two kids. Thank you. We're going to do a high line? <laughs> <laughs>
Throw people in the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Doc Hillary wrote to me about some of what happened while I was over there. Dude, I broke down and cried like a baby. <laughs> Yes, right. thanks. <laughs> there you go, it's a Sports Illustrated pose. Jump, man, jump! <laughs> Hold that burst button. It's about 500. Yeah. In a blink of an just eye. Just press, press and hold it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, if we can, you can go up these stairs. We're going to go right into the sun porch of the Hamakamata, and then I have, um, I have Sergeant Saunders and Mass Sergeant Dow inside waiting for everybody. Mass <laughs> Sounds interesting. Everybody was I was like, yeah, he's a mess on the uh, race course. She was like, what? I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> I was like, Amanda, I think. Well, next to 1% of the population ever even sees that now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because you know, so we don't see it that often. I only made it up to E5, so anything over the net, I was, I was definitely afraid of. <laughs> Thank you. I was happy with that pants on. I just wanted to make it to the ring where I could retire. That was where I was and everything else was. Like they just bought it. Oh, they bought me the mask. I didn't tell nobody for two months. Me and my wife. I, I didn't believe it. I said they didn't lost. They lost. Well, I made seven. Marine Corps is doing the change. Nah, y'all do it. Stretch it for everything. You only fart to that. And at certain times of the day. Better be laughing. It's going to Dunford? He was the commandant when I came in. No kidding. Yeah, we old. That's all. We old. Hey, he's seen it before my time. Clinton? <laughs>
Look at his eye. I got that rock. I got the rock eye. I'm a tiger. You're a tiger. All I can say is wow, this yeah. this is incredible. Well, for me it is. Yeah. I know for other, other people that see it every day, they don't. Another day in, in paradise. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you again. I'm for so making glad. all this possible. No, absolutely. I'm glad you all were able to make the trip. Yeah. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good to see you. Doc Rollins. Good to meet you. You've been here station for very long. Uh, been here for a year. Um, Quantico a year. Outstanding. Training officers or? No, not not this time. Last time I was. Wow. Right. For OCS? OCS, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've never, this is my first time being up this far. North Carolina was third retired six years. Oh, okay. So that's, this is the furthest I've come. Well, I've visited New York, but that was Sure, sure. Are you looking at getting out? Are you going to stick it out for another year or two? I'm going to stay around for a while, uh, yeah. see what happens. Yeah? Yeah, we'll just, yeah I go kind of uh, duty station by duty station. Yeah. You, are you enjoying it? Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I, I think. Uh, okay. Thank you. That's all right. All right. Thank you. You're gonna do this? <laughs> You're gonna be that 
have money. Yeah, all right. You know, that kid's got to eat, so I'm going to join you. <laughs> so there's always got to be one, I guess. <laughs> so what did you start out doing, that sort? Did you start out in, like, radio equipment or uh, motor T? Or? Oh, no, I haven't got trucks. I haven't got Okay. Right. What was that like? <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty obscene. <laughs> we had a couple of drill instructors come to our battalion after their tour uh, at Paris Island, and they were a different breed. <laughs> but you have to be. I mean, you're screaming at a tree for two or three hours a day. <laughs> but it was um, it was good to see that level of discipline. You know. Because they, they had it in a way that we didn't. And we learned pretty quick. <laughs> Our first sergeant, um, he, uh, he needed to, to pick up Sergeant Major, but he had to go into a victory unit before he could. So he came to us, and he was at Paris Island, and that's where he picked up first sergeant. And then he came to us after that, and I was like, we're going to do it just like a crew training command. I'm like, God damn it. That's always the mentality for a while, anyways. Yeah couple of deployments in and he got what he needed and bounced. <laughs> and grunt life wasn't for him. But he did he did work pretty well. So what do you do now? Excuse me. Sorry. Um, I was working in industrial maintenance and repair but I got popped by the electricity. So I said, get that. I almost died. The second time a attempt of my life has been made. <laughs>
22-seating table. We can take this table out and replace it with three separate tables. We can put about three 10-person tables in here. So I mean, that's 30 people in one dining room. That's bigger than family or even other. I don't think I want to have them keep them Heck no, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 10. So, the we have, as you guys saw walking up to our home, it's now painted white. Also, there's two additions that have been added since the painting of this portrait on either side. Now, this is depicting the engagement ceremony of Archibald Henderson, longest serving commandant's um, daughter. So that's one first thing. It's not his wife. It's not his wedding ceremony. He's blessing the marriage and arrangement to take place. Behind you see what we like to think is the Marine Corps band. is actually the Army's band. The Marines were out in D.C. performing somewhere else. We had some spare uniforms. We needed that music for the event. Called the Army in and said, hey, make it work. We appreciate it. We owe you guys one. <laughs> and they wore it. <laughs> now you see we have uh, the home. The floor was white. Now I think the artist who painted this from Waterhouse was a little, a little kind with the red. The home was actually said to be a salmon paint before it was painted white. The Marines who built the home were good at a lot of things. They built a house that had it falling. They didn't know how to fire bricks right to get that orange burnt red that we know about. So they fired them a little too, pulled them out a little too early. They were a little pink. Commandant lived in a pink house for quite some time. Until finally someone came in and said, no, they don't white. Don't look at that. We're going to be able to look at some of the original brickwork as we walk through the sun porch. That silver tray behind you has every, every person who has served as commandant inscribed on it. It is the only place we can see mention of Lieutenant Colonel Gale. He was the only commandant to be dishonorably discharged from the Marine Corps due to conduct of becoming an officer and a gentleman. So in the Pentagon, where all the portraits of the commandants are, he has a portrait, but it's just a black canvas and his name at the bottom. And he's not in any of our books. Don't know what he looks like. The Marine Corps got rid of him. So, must have been pretty heinous. What did he do? <laughs> Apparently, naval officer of senior grade engaged one of his guards that you saw he came on post tonight. He didn't find that very well. It was during the time of dueling, challenged the officer to a duel. I got that. I read up about this when I got in there. You're supposed to go to a duel and two men are supposed to stand across from each other, but you're supposed to miss. You're supposed to just be tough enough to stand in front of a loaded gun. Well, he shot and killed him. So he killed the senior naval officer, and he had an ongoing feud with the Secretary of War. So the Secretary of War is like, there we go. There's my out. You're done. Kicked him out, and the Marine Corps erased him. Now, when I tell my guards this story, when they get a new, when they get their new joint briefs, they're like, "It's all right by me. I'm gonna have our back." But this way, you guys are guards. And so that's it. Behind you, we have the Lejeune China cabinet. Now, Major General Lejeune was commandant. He, his picture is seen as we go over to the second deck. This wasn't donated by General Lejeune, though. This was donated by his daughter, Major Lejeune. So. We used to have a story here when we had a picture of young Archibald Henderson hanging up here. His portrait was hanging here prior. It got removed because there's too many portraits of him in the home. But it fell down during a dinner whenever they were talking about what his opinion would be on the matter of women in the Marine Corps. It fell down, and we like to say it's because he doesn't care as long as you make the standard you're a Marine, you're in the Corps. And then we always bring up that Major, Major Lejeune donated the China Academy, so women are not only in the Marine Corps, but they're doing quite well. We removed his portrait, so I'll have to find the show somewhere else. 
Yeah, wanted to ask, is it what? How much truth is there that he was trying to leave the Marine Corps and his will to a family member? I mean, 100% truth. Is it? He wrote a will saying that this should be given to his family since he spent so much time here. Yeah. And the U.S. government says that's government housing. Like this is still bachelor <laughs> officers' quarters. No, you can't do that. And then they said he had to move out. His wife kind of understood. And Thankfully, I, they left. I know he was the oldest serving commandant. Or the longest ever coming out. How long was it? 38 years. Thank <laughs> you. 
Dentalberger is a good shopper, uses Craigslist, finds a lot of cool items there. And now it's part and holds his holds his gift on his terms. A lot of items here that are only in existence because of Craigslist. Did you tell them that bar was off Craigslist? We had car fast. Oh, yes, I did. That's the real story. And car. Well, we'll tell everybody that. There you yeah. go. There you go. Beautiful craft. Yeah. <laughs> you can go back through that way if it's easier. We're going to meet in the music room. First, first 12 hours at this post. 
Corporal Saunders, got scared, had no idea what's going on. Didn't know this unit existed two weeks ago. Get a call. Very old man. This is, uh, this is Sergeant Gay. Want to ask about getting parade tickets? It's January, so I didn't have a parade January. Sergeant, um, my man hears me say Sergeant Gray one more time. She walks over. Commandant, it's so nice to speak with you. How are you doing today? Been on the phone with the commandant, former commandant of the Marine Corps for about five minutes. Had no idea. First time I saw him in person, I was like, General, it's nice to meet you. First time we spoke, you introduced me as a sergeant. He said, Yeah, I do that. <laughs> I was like, Alright, man's making my life a lot harder. That's what I guess you get that right. Now General Neller and General Dunford both are the first of a new generation of portraits from the commandants. Congress has decided not to fund these portraits, and at first I was like, man, that kind of sucks, but each one of these portraits can cost upwards of sixty thousand dollars. I can understand maybe like, hey, we can find a better way to do it. That was drawn by a Marine on a digital pad. It looks it looks really good to me. I think they did a great job. General Neller, I think, chose a time in his life where he had a little bit more hair. <laughs> I don't remember seeing that whenever he left, but that look that he's got on right there, that uh, that's that him. thousand yard thinking yeah, stare. That's him. That was General Neller every single day I worked, I was in this house every single time I saw him at the parade deck. But I think he captured the essence of General Neller to a T. We've had a little bit of talk with Archibald Henderson. This will be the last time I talk about him or his ghost stories unless I'm asked again. Not this couch. But in the position and look that this couch holds is where Archibald Henderson passed away. One night he came home from work, laid down, passed away. When the aides found him, it said that his face was calm and that death had taken him peacefully. A warrior at the end of his life didn't go with the fight. The fight his whole life. He went on, left a note on the door saying, I've gone to fight the Seminoles. And then just left, took the Marines of Nathan and I and went down to Florida. He got his permission later. So to know that he went peacefully is a good thing to know. But he didn't leave the house. Now, General Green takes over as a commandant. His wife is going through with a historian, trying to figure out what pieces and where she wants things decorated in the house. It's a multi-day process. They go upstairs, go to bed, the commandant sends everyone away, like gives his aides the night off. She hears something downstairs. She gets up, because the commandant convinced, he's like, no, there's no one in the house. I know there's no one in the house. Comes down, and there's a gentleman in a top hat overlooking a fire that doesn't exist. She addresses him, like, Sir, you need to leave. I don't know who you are. Looks at her on the stair where General Lejeune is, tips his hat, disappears. She's freaked out. I would have left the house and went, Honey, if you have to live there, you can't, but I'm never coming back. <laughs> the next day, the historian's coming through, she's telling his story. The historian's like, That's something. That is wild. She flips to a picture of old Archibald Henderson. He's like, that was him. That was the guy in the house. If she tells General Green, he's like, yeah, yeah, I believe that. He was here long enough, I doubt he left. <laughs> so, be on the lookout, I guess. <laughs> You're gonna see Archibald Henderson as we go up the stairwell. Behind me, last thing I wanna talk about because it's one of my favorite stories. Who's heard the saying, mind your beeswax? Who knows where it came from? So nowadays, it's where we tell children to, you know, stop getting into conversations they're not supposed to be in. Back when smallpox was a rampant epidemic and everyone got it and they got those pits in their faces, people would use beeswax to cover those holes so they didn't look like they had smallpox as a kid. But they also didn't have, you know, regular heating, they had to stand next to a fire. Wax melts. So they would use that shield to block some of the radiant heat, 
keep their face from melting. So if someone said, mind your beeswax, go find a mirror and kind of put yourself back together. <laughs> they were glad that it got to evolve and we don't still have to do that. <laughs> this time, we're going to move our way upstairs to the second deck. Most of us are vaccinated now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what well, is if it's, you know, still effective? <laughs> Did you hear that? Picture this right here. still a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to trying to do something for Halloween, I suppose. actually bought at an auction uh, right before we got married so it's about uh, we've had it for uh, about 38 years and it's uh, it's from the early 1900s I looked it up because of the type of bobbin it has and it does still work I don't have the belt on it right now but it does still work you're going to get to see upstairs that she is more than capable of using it right here we have another gift Marshall Henderson now, as we said earlier, that he tried to leave this home to his family. His wife left this 
I'm assuming because in the moving process you just didn't want to bring it with him. This was one of his work desks. Now there's a drawer in here that has a lock on it. It doesn't work. And she just left written in chalk, lock's broken, someone please fix. <laughs> well, it's 2019. He served in the 1800s. We still have to fix the lock, so barracks maintenance is about at the same tier it was. <laughs> it's a run joke. We gave it to uh, gave it to our maintenance marines from Quantico. We get a single lap. I just had 12 marines staring at me. Like, hey, we're gonna move on here, gentlemen. Um, in these two glass cases, we have figurines. They're trained the Chinese proverb of the Eight Immortals. If anyone knows that offhand and would like to tell the group about it, that would be awesome. But I don't know much more about the Eight Immortals than after that. Now here we are in the Commandant's office. You can take a look as you go up the stairs. Some of his personal items, some of his books. You can see that he can actually work here for those of you who know what the screen means. There's going to be more stuff in this, I'm assuming, with every, with every year, or is he like to keep the office pretty compacted? He does keep it pretty compacted, but I'm sure that he'll be gathering more stuff. When General Neller, when it was time for him to move out of the home, I think he had more weight in here than I would rate in three PCS meetings. So there was a lot of stuff. There's a lot of really cool things to kind of show his uh, a military history I spot. It's basically what it looked like. So I'll give you guys a couple minutes when we're ready. We're going to go up to the third floor. To, I believe mean, the 70s, this was not high up ceiling, this wasn't living quarters, this was a working space for the enlisted Marines who support the Commandant. So, your office is right above the Commandant's suite, and you used to have an all-night aid, so someone could be in the home and the boss at the same time. You couldn't imagine having a tiptoe through the morning not wake up the Commandant. Now, we're going to finish up the basement of the day, we're going to tear down for the ceiling. But as you see, we raise the ceilings. We have a couple bedrooms through here. First one, we're going to go into the Colonel Waterhouse room. Waterhouse was a young lieutenant, a young officer. He suffered an injury. He was going to force him out of the Marine Corps. He begged, brought and sealed, and showed finally, we let me stay in if I can encapsulate our history. The Marine Corps was like, what do you mean? They showed him a couple of his paintings. Like behind you, he has a painting of the Boxer Rebellion. Whoa. So he did all of these. If you Google Marine Corps art or Marine Corps history and go to images, any hand painting you see, there's better than an 80% chance that Colonel Waterhouse made it. All of these different portraits, he painted by hand, and he was allowed to stay in until he was currently passed away in 2013. He started a series where he was going to paint behind just behind your head, sir, every Marine who received the Medal of Honor. He was going to paint their face on that, and they were going to fill this room. 
he didn't get very far in that in that pursuit, but they all would have looked great. His artwork is actually all around Center House. You guys have to walk past that whenever we go back into Truman Crawford Hall. But that was his dedication to the Marine Corps. Vietnam, Boxer Rebellion, World War One and Two. So the rumor has it, you know, this is his room, but if a Medal of Honor recipient wanted to, they could request the Commandant and they could stay in this room. It hasn't happened in my time here. I've heard it happened a little bit during uh, General Amos's tenure, but maybe someday I'll get to see it. I've only got one more year here. Maybe one of them will do it. I'm gonna give you guys a couple moments so you can look at some of the pictures, check out some of the more, some of the smaller pieces in this room. Then we're gonna talk about this Commandant Neville. Now, the last portrait that I really want to point out before we move on to our last two rooms, as everyone files out, we'll take a look at Commandant Neville. Now, like I said, these portraits are important. These portraits serve a purpose. Commandant Neville got to stand for one day of his painting. He stood fully dressed. The artist got his face, called it a day, said, go take a break. And the Commandant passed away in his sleep with just his face painted. So, one of his aides donned his blues coat, stood in place, and the artist painted that over. Now, if you look at his white gloves, and if you've ever worn white gloves, you know they don't look that tight. But it looks almost as if the artist made him have pale white flesh. Kind of as like a, maybe just a little side note for the Marines and anyone who comes to see it later, he didn't quite make it through. Now, this is the only portrait that I believe and have made the mistake of looking at. The eyes will follow you. I learned from an art student who came through here that that's, there's a technique to make that happen. I was like, no, it's, it's a spirit. Anyway, <laughs> there's no way to explain this. But everyone goes and looks at it, and they have to deal with it. Yep. Yeah. They, they, yeah, they can build themselves, right? Uh, there's a headboard in the carol. So for these of you who remember my comment from the second deck that I said that Miss Berger can operate that sewing machine downstairs if she so wanted. Here's your proof. Here's your more modern sewing room. Doesn't matter. And on the back wall, whenever you walk through, you're going to see a framed blues coat. A very small blues coat. It wasn't made for a man, it was made for a boy. Now, this boy wanted to be a Marine, his dad was a Marine. Every day he goes like, I want to be a Marine, Dad say, you're a child, take it easy. Be a kid first and we'll talk about that later. He didn't drop it. To his mom, to his dad, nobody would drop it. Finally, mom broke, she's like, this, this is too much. So she made him a blues coat, sewed it up herself, puts it on, he's pumped, he's ready. Telling Dad, he's like, look at me, I'm a Marine just like you. Dad's seeing that the battle's already over, and he didn't win, he's like, you're not a Marine yet, you don't have a gun. So he went out into the wood shop and he made him a Thompson. So then he was set. That young man grew up to be General Mundy. I'm not in the Marine Corps. So, fan your kids' dreams, see how far they go, I guess is the lesson I'm taking. I have an 11-month-old. I'm like, all right, whatever you pick, thank you. Whatever you pick, man, we're going to figure it out. You're going to be the best at it. Well, it's not crying. <laughs> but you're going to get to look at that blues coat as we walk into...
So before this was blocked, I didn't have such a nice view, and you guys wouldn't be able to see it. First thing I want to point out is the Monday couch. Now, this is showing here. It used to be a toy room. Toys, toys left by former commandants, toys left by former families. Basically, we had a room with a lot of really old, creepy-looking dolls. Like, there was a cosmonaut monkey in there. It was some weird stuff. I'm glad to see this stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. She did it in the back corner. <laughs> this couch used to be in there. This was a General Lundy's couch. He donated it from his... His father had it when he was a general officer. He kept it and then left it here at the end of his tenure. But if you look through this window, you're going to see Marine Family Garden. Marine Family Garden is connected to the home of the Commandants. Every general officer quarters here has a garden next to their home. But this one's dedicated to the families of the Marine Corps and the sailors who support. For whenever they have to go out in town or go out into the world, they have to leave their families behind, and their family has to carry on the mission as if they never left. Every Friday evening, we make it a point, and we try and have our parade coordinators bring at least one or two Gold Star families, so we can make a special mention to them whenever they're here in the garden. And they also have an open invitation at all times for all the Friday events to kind of come through and get to spend some time back there. Now, we have a couple, you can't see them here because they're too high up, but we have a couple things that have been donated by the Marines of World War II. Uh, the Korean ambassador left us a grandfather statue to watch over the garden. I got to learn about that from one of our officers here. He's from Korean descent. His grandfather made them on an island where they come from. He was telling us about it. There's a lot of really cool stuff and a really nice connection through that room. You guys want to circle around and look at that, and we'll walk into the Prince Philip suite. This is where they were operating out of during their time here. And now I'm left with three with three theories, and I'll let you all vote on whichever one you think is the more correct one. Out of respect for the battle prowess of the Marine Corps, the British left our home unscathed. Due to the large ration of rum in the basement, they left the home of the Commandants unscathed. Third and final, for fear that the Marines would board ships and sail with them back to their home country, they left the home of the Commandants unscathed. I'd like to think it's a combination of two and three, because I've had British Marines here and I've given them the tour and they're like, first one ain't it. <laughs> the second one probably, but whenever Prince Philip came to visit us here in the United States, came to D.C., he would only stay in one place, he stayed right here. And, you know, the Commandant was more than willing to receive him. He's like, hey, just want to let you know, though, we don't have some of the nicer things that you have, you know, back home. He's like, don't worry about it. He brought his own stuff. 
<laughs> so, behind you where that lamp sits is a beautiful, well-designed set of combs and brushes for his spouse. And through the bathroom, you're going to see a chandelier that almost doesn't fit in the room, but it's still there. <laughs> he, he left some nicer things here. He's like, just keep it. I might come back. He's got the brushes. Hey, that's yeah, yeah. It matches. Matches. It just... That's probably one of those things that are stolen. <laughs> I imagine the gentleman home look like. This is our this is our pantry. It's a massive chandelier. This is our pantry. Please don't comment on that. Have light. Have light. Yeah, I don't see what he means. We bring the fire helmet back out. Didn't get an answer. Here it is. I'm really glad it came back. You guys take a look at that and then. Carefully make your way down the stairs. Anybody need a hand? <laughs> <laughs> Put them, bunch. Wow. Chief, how much crap did you get? You just can't because of my thing. Uh, Ari. That's what now is it? That would have been like the, the first thing I'd go to. It's like, Chief, Ari. It was like, Ari. Alright, right. Whatever, I was like, yep. Is that right? Yep. I'm, I'm, that's surprising. Like my last name's Rollins, and I got crap over that. Rollins? No, it's it's Rollins. I say it how I say it. Don't correct me. Also, the quiet. Yeah, I was kind of under the radar. So. I did what it was told. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what makes a good recruiter a good recruit. <laughs> oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Thomas, I gotta get a picture with you yes, before, you before we get out of here. So he said it's a QA. <laughs> so you let him know. Thanks for everything. Thanks for everything. So, so, I hope it's gonna be a B bill or sort, but not not that many people can really like say they, they get this. History. I was promoted oh, yeah, right there. And all that. No I kidding. Really I got promoted to sergeant right here in the home department. Who did, who did you pin? Um, I had one of my friends with Bonico pin me, yeah, but Miss Neller was holding my kid, my wife, everything was cool. That's a story <laughs> so, so, that you don't get in another Yeah, community. it's really tight. Yeah, yeah it's a really tight community. I got to bring this soon. Who do I need to call? 202 433 I'm everybody from Virginia. That'd be dope. Defense. Oh, no. Team. Three, four, three, four. Six, six, six. Uh, tries, tries, swim from Alcatraz, of course, the Marine Corps Marathon. We're thrilled to have a few of those original members stay. Again, we saw some pictures up here. Tonight, they're going to come up here to share a little bit about their experiences and their memories. So if you guys would give me them a warm welcome, and original members, come on up.
coffee and some great barbecue. I appreciate all that. Uh, barbecue, of course. But um, just like, you know, I think General Berger and um, Karen actually stole my thunder. And I was going to talk about like the family, like the oriented type of organization. That, can y'all hear me? You're good? And uh, I mean, it's just, it, it, I like to echo that because even, what, 14 years later, that's exactly like Stay involved because I mean we we've actually watched each other's kids and, and I watched Bradley's hair grow gray. So it's like it's it's those type of memories that you that you it's, it's what it's what you experience when you're here um, and and we're watching you know Boo um, and, and Doc and, and everybody here Derek Bradley. <laughs> I took all of those boot packets because I was nervous I would not finish the ride. But those boot packets did their job. I was also able to share the boot packets with some of the assistants. If it wasn't for the phone for taking me in, I would probably still be nervous to come out of my house because of the fun. I got to see places I would have never gone and done things I never would have done. Like the Tunnel Tower, the Trap.
I was privileged by having uh, the Semper Fi Fund team and others uh, <coughs> come by and see me at the moment of my right worst weakness. Everybody here has been there in their journey as well. Sitting in a wheelchair, missing a leg, brain injury, missing half my eye, broken in everywhere. And at that moment in my life, uh, a lot of people were looking at me at, at my disabilities and my lack of abilities and talking to me about uh, the future and what's going to happen and your limits and your limitations. Semper Fi Fund for me, stage manager walked up to me in a place called the Malone House. It doesn't even exist anymore, but looked at me, looked at me straight in the eye and said, hey doc, you're running the Marine Corps Marathon. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> that moment was very poignant. I didn't, I thought they were crazy. They were the first organization to look at me and believe in who I am, what I am, what I can do. And from that moment on, I would not let him down. And I'll tell him for sure, if you need me for a race, I won't let you know I'm a runner. So for that, if not for your seed of that planting, all the other achievements in my journey since then would have been you. So you helped spur resilience in me, and that resilience has spread going down to my three boys as well. So for ladies, I'm very grateful you and all this work. Just to recap, though, and I, don't wanna, I was supposed to share a moment of a, a, a poignant event. We were out at Aquatrans, one of these lovely events with these wonderful folks out here. And just, just so you all know, I'm a Navy guy, right? I blew the doors off of all the Marines. <laughs> <laughs> Sergeant, they were flying past me. 
And at that time, I had somewhat of a bitter test in my mouth towards Marine Corps. I felt like I got left behind. Some of us probably know what that's like. But they didn't leave me. They turned back around for me. They told me that they had heard about me. They wanted me to join their team. I was the first hand cyclist, the first wheelchair athlete, and I didn't know the power to actually have. I didn't know that the guy who was thinking about if he actually had it in the tank to continue on in life and make a difference, I didn't know that until that day. I started doing marathons, started doing triathlons, and they hit on something that Doc McGinnis said, Doc and I came up with this idea of just try to win this. Ski from Alcatraz, you know, the hardest, one of the hardest, you know, triathlons in the country. With sharks. With sharks. <laughs> cold, cold ice water. Hey, I ain't had the courage to jump in there. But Doc did. And so I uh, hand cycled and did the racing chair. And Doc and I were able to win the challenge athlete category. That was huge for us. It was huge for me because it gave me some confidence that I could actually do something with my life on a bigger scale as an athlete, as a mentor, an advocate for those who had been through you know, some, some, some times that I could go out here and make a difference for them. And that's what I'm doing as a wrestling coach, that's what I'm doing as a mentor for these kids in my community, but I would never have been able to be that kind of guy if it wasn't for the Intermarine Superfly Fund, Team Superfly, my brothers and sisters, Karen Gunther, Volunteers, Wendy Latheen, case givers, caregivers, case managers, <laughs> volunteers. Y'all make this work. Y'all are the ones that bring these donors in who make a huge impact on our lives. And not only did they do this for Marines, but they expanded it and they did it for Army, Navy, Coast Guard. Army? Very big blessing in our lives. Thank you so much for everything you do. I mean, I'm going to be your help. I'll stay inspired. Stay in a fight. Number five. Number one, uh, Bradley Walker. Uh, well, uh, about my, my experience, uh, Uh, I, I got, I got, personally got wounded back in November. I was six. A uh, couple months later, uh, got basically asked if I wanted to try uh, to ride a hand cycle in uh, Faces of America, like some of these uh, other gentlemen have, have spoken about. I didn't know what I was getting into at the time. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, what, they were able to get me a hand cycle. Uh, was an old lean to steer. Uh, <laughs> Not really the safest thing to learn how, uh, learn how to ride a hand cycle on. And, uh, well, uh, I don't know. The, the, the experience uh, throughout that, uh, the brotherhood, uh, it's hard to beat, really. Uh, but uh, on the second day of that ride, about 90 miles in, uh, I, I had a little accident and ended up with about about a hundred odd stitches uh, in that incident. In, in, in incident, but some people they, when I tell them that story, they ask uh, like why 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 you back out there? Why 
might continue to ride a hand cycle and stuff like that. And I just, I'm just like, how can I not if, uh, mm -hmm. like everybody else? I mean, all the the other athletes, all the other Marines, everybody. I mean, it's just the brotherhood. And it, at, at that time in my life, uh, it, it gave me some uh, focus. It gave me something to to strive for, to, to focus on abilities, I mean, not, not disabilities, not, but I mean, we, let me see where things were going. And uh, you know, thank Karen, the whole staff, for allowing me that. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Lots changed over the years, but you guys have set the stage for the camaraderie, the inspiration, and the courage behind Team Seven Five America's Fund that still exists in every event we do today. So thank you guys very much. One more time for the original. The great thing about this organization is that we see these these moments and this impact continuously happen in every event that we do. A few weeks ago, I was in uh, Texas visiting a service member I worked with in 2010, and we were eating dinner, and he got up from the table and went to go get a slice of pizza, and his mom leaned over to me and said, Brent, Semper Fi saved my son's life. Sports saved my son's life. And it was just the catalyst that he needed to do a complete change around. Totally changed his life. And sitting there years later with his mom, his wife, two children, happy changed. And it's just, it's, it's that. It's that more than sport. It's, it's more than you can even describe or explain that we are able to do here. So thank you guys for being part of that. Thank you for letting me be part of that. And thank you for keep going every day. Change. So we're constantly changing and growing. Like I said, we're up to 40 events a year this year and hoping to grow that. Um, and the goal is that we're constantly changing to fit you guys, to fit your needs and desires. You're like 50 next year, right? You heard her here say it. Uh, but think about this. Last year, we had 63 people running this marathon, okay? The actual marathon. This year, 120. Over 120. Amazing 50K runners. <laughs> Add those guys in there too. But all their journeys have been super, super spectacular all the way up until this time. And so I want to introduce you to Amanda Leibowitz. She's going to come up here and tell you about one of the new programs that we have that got these guys in collaboration to where they are. And that is called Runner Battalion Program. Amanda Leibowitz. <laughs>
convene a virtual training and accountability group delivered 100% start to finish on the interweb. Uh, <laughs> it's something that was really new territory for us at Team Semper Five. But more than finishing a race, we really wanted to create an opportunity for our service members to develop a true appreciation for distance running and also to fall in love with what it means to be a runner. <coughs> so 10 months ago, we opened registration and with four, within 48 hours, we had more than 145 service members enroll in the program. The funny thing is, is that signing up for a marathon is the easiest part of running a marathon. <laughs> it gets real when you finally have to start running, and it gets really real when you have to start running long. Alright? Yeah. <laughs> so straight out of the gate, we had some challenges. Mainly, there was a lot of new technology to figure out. And I think it goes without saying it was frustrating for all of us. Um, like really frustrating. But those who really wanted it, who really wanted to stay in it, made the effort. They asked questions, they found a way, and over our shared perseverance of figuring out running apps and GPS watches, the beginnings of a community were starting to take root. And these roots grew deeper and stronger as we progressed through our training. After eight weeks, we hit the 10 or the 5K benchmark. 12 weeks after that, uh, we celebrated the 10K distance. And over the first half of the program, which was five months long, by the way, <laughs> our service members from across the country and even in Japan and Germany had transformed into a true family of runners. We had a shared language revolving around pink octopus and green T-Rex emojis. <laughs> we created space in our lives for Brady Bunch-style team meetings twice a month. We asked questions about nutrition, hydration, recovery, pacing, and injury prevention. And we embraced our rest days and easy runs with a reflection of wisdom rather than weakness. And we were finally ready for our 20-week build to the full marathon distance. So the last five months of training, to be honest, have been very hard. And they're supposed to be, because this is a marathon, guys. Um, but day in and day out, our runners continue to show up. They showed up for their teammates, but most importantly, they showed up for themselves. Sacrifices were made without hesitation as our weekend long runs became longer and longer. But our runners were invested in the mission and they were willing to do whatever it took to make it to the start line happy, healthy, and strong. Just as much as that meant gutting it out through those tough runs, it also meant practicing good nutrition, hydration, and sleep hygiene. It meant listening to their bodies to learn the difference between the pain of hard work and the pain of injury, and being confident enough to make a change and go with the flow as needed. So one of my favorite quotes goes something like this. Someone once told me not to bite off more than I can chew. I said I'd rather choke on greatness than nibble on mediocrity. <laughs> well, see, right. We took a huge bite of greatness and we didn't choke. <laughs> on Sunday, we're going to have 60, 60, 60 ambulatory runners and six hand cyclists representing our battalion in the full marathon. Five will be taking on the 50K and 16 more have overcome injury and illness to run the 10K. 32 of us will be completing our first ever marathon, ever. <laughs> everyone else will be chasing a PR confidently, feeling more prepared to run this distance than ever. So if you were in the Runner Battalion this year, can you please stand up for a moment so we can recognize all the hard work that you've put in?
your belief, in our guidance, in your teammates and in yourselves, we wouldn't be standing here today, 84 members strong. Not only did you earn this marathon start on Sunday, you built a legacy that has truly raised the bar for what it means to be part of Team Semperfy. So I'd like to thank Sam Tickle and Karen Gunther for letting me run with this idea. I'd like to thank our brilliant coach, Ben Drezik. Promises to be an unforgettable weekend. But before we depart, I'd like to thank one more time Ray Barrett's eighth and I staff. Just take it to the finish. Have a great night. Thank you guys for coming. Ah.